this week on Missions Today. Sumba is only one island out of 17,000 islands in Indonesia. I work on Sumba, but I also work in an island east of Sumba. And already I'm seeing the potential for bringing this book that we can print cheaply and distribute cheaply in Indonesia, bringing this book and taking it to other islands where there are still many, many, many churches, many Christians who have no trained, theologically educated pastors. Training and biblical education are at the heart of the work of this week's guest. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. You might remember just a few weeks back, I asked you to pray for my trip to Southeast Asia with Resource Global's team. Well, this week and next, I'm gonna bring you some of my conversations from my time there. Mike Quinlan is a pastor and lecturer serving with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and the Indonesian Consortium for Religious Studies in Indonesia. Indonesia is made up of many faith groups, including the world's largest Muslim population. It's a hub of industry and of education. While I was in Jakarta, I spoke to Mike about how he does mission in this predominantly Muslim setting and about his work with Resource Global's partner ministry, The Growth Center. Take some time today to process what Mike is doing and how you might be able to help engage more deeply yourself. Hey, Mike, welcome to Missions Today. Now, tell me what you're doing here. So I'm a pastor here. I serve alongside an international congregation in a city of about 600,000. But what's unique to that city is we have about 400,000 university students. So in the the province, there's 4 million. So about 10% of that province are university students. And Unique to our city is that we've got over a hundred universities, colleges, technical schools, training centers. And so we have people from all around Indonesia come to our city to learn. Wow. How did you end up here? Tell me what that journey looked like for you to, to, to end up here. You just were telling me you're from Dallas, Texas. I'm from Austin and here you are in Indonesia. Well, as with uh, most stories, it begins with a girl. And this was my wife who had spent two years teaching in Indonesia after she graduated college. She came with a Baptist program for post-university students. She came back to America and, you know, from the moment I knew her uh, until we got married, she was talking about Indonesia. And the way I say it is before she would love me, I had to love Indonesia. Um, Ministry for me is a second career, uh, maybe even a third career. Um, I knew I was going somewhere and doing something involved in Muslim-Christian relations. And Indonesia just happens to be the world's largest Muslim-majority country. And so with my wife's love of Indonesia and my passion and my calling to work in the midst of Christian-Muslim relations, it's a perfect fit of God's calling in both of our lives. Wow. You, you mentioned all these students uh, in the area where you serve. Is that a specific group that you are interested in reaching? Are you near these universities? Yeah. So we work primarily with young adults and university students through the international congregation. I'm also uh, serving on faculty at one of the universities there. The whole reason we are in this specific city is because of student exchange programs. We had a student from my program here in Indonesia go to Duke as part of a fellowship program. Uh, He met a man there named Stephen Porter. Stephen Porter came to Indonesia to the Indonesian Consortium for Religious Studies, my program in Indonesia. After that, he came to Baylor as faculty in the missions department. 
I met him there at Baylor in 2011. I ended up serving with him as uh, his graduate assistant, and he knew my love for Indonesia, and he knew my desire to serve. And he said, I think Yogyakarta is the place for you to be. I think this program, this academic program, Indonesian Consortium for Religious Studies, ICRS, is the place for you to be. And that's where I ended up. I said, I want to go maybe one or two years. And the program said, no, we want you to come for the full program. And sure enough, here I am eight years later, still at that university, uh, serving there for the last three years on faculty. How about that? So you were at Baylor for a while? Yeah. So I did my undergraduate and my graduate at Baylor. And actually with uh, Indonesia and the way the, the law works, I must have a sending university. So I'm actually an affiliate clinical professor. Um, with Baylor, and they second me to Gajamada University, the university here where I serve. Talk for a moment about your church. What does your church look like if someone was to walk in the front? I don't mean the decorations, but uh, the congregation. What kind of congregation do you have? Our church is international, but I, when I say that, it's often that we are the internationals there. Um, because it's a student city, we've got faculty and Indonesian students that are involved in our church. Uh, they come primarily to uh, grow their English language ability. And so that's been one of the, the major draws of our congregation. Uh, we are interdenominational, and that means we've got charismatics and Catholics and Presbyterians and Pentecostals. And I, I say when the four of us are there, we've got four Baptists uh, there. We meet in a hotel. Uh, we are not free to have our own church building due to some Indonesian regulations. Uh, and as such, we're technically... Uh, a service of another church, and that's how uh, Indonesian law allows us to exist. I, I've noticed uh, you don't see churches on corners. You see mosques. You don't see churches, so to speak, many of them using other facilities. I guess that's tied to this. Yeah, it's very common. The issues of houses of worship is uh, a growing concern in Indonesia. Um, one of the interesting things about how Indonesia works in terms of its regulations is to have a house of worship, to have a church or a mosque. Technically, you need 90 members of your congregation, of your faith, to sign a petition saying that there needs to be a church, there needs to be a mosque, there needs to be a temple here. But you also need 60 signatures of people from other faiths that uh, will give you permission to build a, a mosque or a church or a temple in that location. And so this is a big challenge. And even if you do meet that challenge of getting not only 90 members, uh, I'm, I'm from Texas, and most Texas Baptist churches are 50 members or less. And so in a country where Christians are the minority, when other religions are the minority, it's sometimes very, very difficult to have 90 members of a congregation that doesn't exist yet. And so it's been really hard. Uh, and, and, and the same thing happens for, you know, even for Muslims going to Christian-majority areas. It can be difficult for them to build mosques. And so this is a big challenge. Uh, for this community, for this nation. And that's one of the challenges uh, that churches and congregations like mine face. So we have to meet in a hotel rather than a church building. What would you say are some of the challenges you face uh, dealing with such an international audience of various age groups uh, in a country that is predominantly another uh, faith? What are, what are some of the challenges you face? Well, we face Numerous challenges, and not only are, are we facing the challenge of language, uh, people that come to our congregation, uh, English may be their third or fourth language, and yet it's the language of instruction, it's the language of education, it's the language of world business, and so people need to learn English, and so 
many ministries, including ours within Indonesia, serve in ESL uh, teaching just to help meet the felt needs of the people here. Uh, so we have that linguistic challenge. And then we have, especially in our church, which is an interdenominational church, we have the challenges of different theologies at play, different ecclesiologies. And so people come here, they, they maybe hear a creed that they've never heard before. Uh, they maybe experience a, a form of or a practice um, that they've never experienced for, before. And so there's always uh, a lot of education that needs to happen. People don't show up expecting church every Sunday is going to be a certain way. Um, I grew up in an Anglican church or Episcopal church in the American tradition. Um, and as a child, I didn't know when to stand up, to sit down, when to kneel, what to say, when to curtsy, things like this. Uh, moving to a, uh, the Baptist church in my teens, that was a whole nother culture of church to learn. And so, and people coming from all around Indonesia and from all the different churches and even all around uh, the world coming into our church, they have to learn a new form of Christian fellowship, a new form of Christian practice, a new ecclesiology, and a way of doing theology where we are united even in the midst of our differences. Uh, talk for a moment about uh, your opportunity to be on faculty and be a lecturer. What has that experience been like for you? Yeah, so my program here in Indonesia, it's a consortium of the state university, which is secular, uh, Christian university, uh, and then also the State Islamic University. And so it's one of the most unique programs in all of the world in the sense that we have people coming from not only different disciplinary backgrounds, but different faith backgrounds. And they're coming not only as professors, but as students, uh, and primarily working for uh, promoting religious pluralism in this already plural country that we live in. And that has a lot to me to do with promoting religious freedom and belief amongst this. And one of the great things that I love about this program is that, you know, when we promote religious freedom and tolerance for the minorities, it also benefits the majority. Uh, Muslims uh, are freer to follow the stream and the path of Islam that they choose to follow. Uh, alongside Christians are freer to choose and to practice their faith more openly. And so that's one of the great things about the program that I, I'm involved in. Uh, it's, it's a great opportunity also for um, students to move beyond kind of the normative study of the religion. It's very common in Indonesia that people study religion. They have to study religion as part of the national curriculum. So from the time you're in elementary school until you uh, graduate high school, you have to study your religion within the school system. So everyone has to go to, if you're a Muslim, for instance, you go to an Islamic education class from elementary to high school. Christian, and I, and I separate Christian from Catholic because Indonesia, there's actually a separation between the two religions, between Protestant and Catholicism. But if you're Protestant, you go to a Protestant Catholic class. If you're Catholic, you go to a Catholic class, Hindu and so on. But the problem is in Indonesia, you've, learned your faith within your own classes, within your own religions classes, and you've never really engaged others in dialogue about what they believe. And so this program is the first religious studies program in Indonesia that allows people to study religion from outside of their religion. And so it offers, offers people 
opportunities that they don't have maybe if they went to the state Islamic university or a Christian or Protestant seminary. And so that's one of the neat things that we do and we provide not only for these students and the faculty, but I think for the Indonesian as a whole, Indonesian nation as a whole, a new way of looking at religion. Do you see that as people participate in this program that they become more motivated, more excited about their faith and in, in, in being able to to participate in that kind of process? Yeah, I think one of the great things about this program and just engaging people of other faiths to begin with is there's there's one, always the fear that if I learn more about this other religion, I'm going to somehow lose my own religion. But actually, many times it helps us to know our religion better. Uh, I tell people, you know, knowing more about Islam, knowing more about Buddhism and Hinduism can help us understand just how unique our Christianity and our theology, our our soteriology is compared to these other religions. It can help us be better Christians to know more about what Muslims Muslims believe, to know more about what our Buddhist uh, friends believe. Tell me about the partnership with the Growth Center. Yeah, so this partnership with the Growth Center grew out of uh, Northern Seminary's commitment to serve Indonesia. And they knew I was in Indonesia, but they didn't necessarily know the extent of my service here in Indonesia. Uh, As a PhD student, I did my field work and research uh, about Muslim migrations to Christian majority islands, and specifically looking at the island of Sumba. It's a majority Christian island in Eastern Indonesia. It's about 800,000 people. Uh, And the majority there is Christian, but yet they have many, many migrants moving from other places in Indonesia. Uh, and many of them are Muslims. And so I look specifically at how Muslims' faith and practice changed through the process of migration and how they've received or were received, rather, by the Christian host community. And I think that has a lot to say with uh, how we as Americans can uh, receive Muslims. And it informs me as a pastor of how to help the church to uh, deal with issues of relating to immigration and um deal with issues of people from different cultures and different religions coming to our communities who maybe don't look like us. So with that background, you know, I worked in Sumba and served in Sumba for about six years prior to uh, the Growth Center reaching out to me. They knew they wanted to do a project in Sumba, but all they knew was that I was in Indonesia. Through our conversations, they realized just how much I actually knew this island uh, and was committed to already serving in this island. And Grow Center wanted to uh, help support pastors. Uh, one of the interesting things about this island is that even though it's a majority Christian island, uh, even though there's 700 plus churches, uh, most of these churches don't have pastors. And so you'll have one church uh, in a village, and maybe that church has eight church plants. And these church plants could have 100, 200, 300 people meeting at this church plant, which is just a very simple stone building, maybe even a bamboo thatched building, uh, but they don't have a pastor. And so the pastor of that mother church might go around to these churches once every month, once every two months and preach. But for most weekends, it's the Sunday school teacher. Uh, He's preaching or it's uh, an elder or a deacon who's leading the service. And the sad part is these people have no theological training. 
They have great hearts and great faith, and they want to serve, but they have no theological training. So the Growth Center is coming alongside the churches in Sumba to provide uh, training for these lay ministers. And the, what we're doing there is we're working with a local seminary there with the professors. We're creating a book, which is written in very simple Indonesian. One of the in- interesting things about this island is most people don't have an education that goes past fifth grade. And so they don't have an opportunity to study into uh, college or seminary. Uh, and so uh, very simple people, a very agrarian life, um, but very faithful people that want to serve the Lord. And so we're putting a book in their hands, a very simple book, which gives them some very th- basic theological teachings, but also some practical applications for how can you take this thing that you're learning, be it baptism, be it ecclesiology, and put that into practice in the village there. Uh, so our hope is uh, to publish that in the next couple months, and then we'd be looking at doing some in-person trainings for the next year. And potentially our, our dreams for the future is turning this into a certificate program, uh, be it through the seminary locally or through Northern Seminary. Do you see it expanding beyond this island? Yes. So we are starting with the island of Sumba, but Sumba is only one island out of 17,000 islands in Indonesia. Uh, I work in, on Sumba, but I also work in an island east of Sumba. And already I'm seeing the potential for bringing this book uh, that we can print cheaply and distribute cheaply in Indonesia, bringing this book and taking it to other islands uh, where there are still many, many, many churches, many Christians who have no trained, uh, theologically educated uh, pastors. As you continue your work here, uh, pastoring, lecturing, uh, what are you hoping to see with the church here in this area and even into the islands? Yeah, so as a pastor, I hope to see the next generation of Christians take their faith into their communities, into their workplaces, and show what a peaceful, what a peaceful faith Christianity is. Uh, that's a big challenge uh, in in a nation where religious competition has created a lot of divide. Uh, Religious extremism has created a lot of conflict Um, to the extent that 20 years ago we had interreligious wars in this country. And to see people just take a a more peaceful expression of not not less extreme in the sense that they, they believe less, but less extreme in the sense that they are, are less willing to divide themselves from their neighbors, to realize that we together are struggling as humans, as God's creation, and to, to bring their faith uh, into the workplace, into their communities in a way that is open and challenging to the, the wider community, but also a blessing to the wider community. As a faculty member in my work with the consortium, I hope that all people in Indonesia have the freedom to believe as they choose. Uh, I come from a Baptist tradition, and religious liberty has been a hallmark of Baptist tradition for hundreds of years. Uh, My son is named after a proponent of uh, religious liberty, and so I want Indonesia to be a place that not only has many different religions practiced, but many different religious religions practiced freely and openly and that there's no fear of persecution or oppression based on what you believe and think. Uh, finally, how can uh, those listening today pray for you and, and the work you're doing? Well, the biggest thing people can pray for us serving here in Indonesia and, and Indonesia as a whole 
is that people would just know Indonesia. Most Americans, uh, most Westerners for that matter, don't know this country. Uh, it's not taught in our history books. It's not taught in our geography classes. And so when I tell people uh, I work and serve in Indonesia, the first question is, what? Huh? Where is that? And so just to kind of share our stories and to, to learn about Indonesia is probably the biggest, uh, my biggest hope and, and concern for American and Western Christians is that they would come to know this is a place on the map. And this is a place that even if they might know a little bit of it, maybe they only know that it's the world's largest majority Muslim population. But there are Christians here. There are Christian majority provinces here. There's Christian majority islands here. And there are Christians here struggling to survive. And so pray pray for knowledge of this country to spread, but pray for also um, that people would know that the gospel is here and the gospel is active and the gospel is uh, seeing lives changed even now. In the history of Indonesia, at independence, Christians only made up 3% of the population. Uh, and most people here think Christianization is the result of colonization, but the reality is Christianity has quadrupled in the last 77 years since independence. So Christ, Christ is here, Christ is moving, the Spirit is at work. And so I would ask Christians to pray with how can they get involved in that work that God is doing in this country. Mike Quinlan, working in the islands of Indonesia, bringing education, biblical training, and hope. Now, next week on the program, we're going to hear from a number of folks who have been involved with Resource Global's cohort mentoring program in Jakarta. We'll hear from a number of those who've been mentored. We'll hear from a couple of the mentors themselves, and we'll hear from a couple of pastors who were on our trip who've seen the results of the ministry firsthand. Just a little teaser for next week. I want to share just a short clip of my conversation with Julia Tan. Now, Julia has been a guest on this program before. You can go back and find her information in our listing. You might remember she came to the U.S. from Indonesia to go to school to become a designer which she did, a designer in New York City. But God had a different plan. He called her back to Indonesia to build a medical ship to help the people of the Indonesian islands. She did that, and her work, Dr. Share, continues to help thousands in the islands of Indonesia. But recently, she got married and had her first child. I want you to listen to a little bit of how she is processing adding wife and mother to her already very busy life. Uh, I have the best husband in the world. He is the most supportive man to letting me do what I do, to be now a wife, to mother of one, and to still pursue my calling and the work of Dr. Shear and others. Uh, my husband, Erlanga, works in the lifestyle business, and I'm thankful that you know God provides someone equally yoked. So you know, as he has access to you know, the people in Jakarta who maybe are the most affluent of families here who can afford his furnishings. Part of it is how could we leverage those relationships to honoring God, right? So we were a young family and there's a lot to learn, especially managing a one-year-old baby who is the world to us right now. She is one and just learning to walk. So the best wobbly stage you can ever think of. We want to learn what it means to steward well the resources that God has given us. I think with Starting a family means a lot more responsibility, financially, everything, and more split of time. So uh, lots of transitions this past year, but I think one thing that God has been teaching me this season is that the good work that God has called us to do isn't just the nine to five job, isn't just Dr. Shear 
or the things that I thought was work. But rather, it's it's a, the daily mundane things, actually, that God has called us to do the good work of. And it's putting chaos into order. That's good work. And so when I think of the struggles I had about what can, what should I feed my daughter tomorrow and the diaper changes, the calming of uh, her soul when she's crying hysterically, or when I'm planning groceries for my family and running errands, that's the good work that God has called me this season. And uh, I struggled with that a lot initially because I felt I couldn't be faithful to work and I couldn't be faithful as a mother splitting my time. But uh, because my heart thought work was that nine to five. So uh, I'm thankful for that reminder that it has made me want to wake up and do well, even in the diaper changing and the planning of my kids' meals, because it's important to him. Julia Tan with Dr. Share in Indonesia, also a new wife and mother. Isn't it incredible the truth she's already learned and how she's processing all of these new things in her life? Isn't it encouraging to know that many of the things she learned while being mentored have helped her process all of these life changes? And isn't it a gift to have friends and colleagues that will encourage you as you go through your life's journey? I think we can all learn a few things from Julia. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to hear more of Julia's story, along with other mentees, mentors, and some observers, some pastors who went with us, who observed the work of Resource Global in Southeast Asia. I hope you'll join us for that coming up next week. Well, it would be so helpful if you would subscribe to this podcast, rate it, leave a review on iTunes. Those all help us get the word out about this special program. Again, subscribe, share it, rate it, leave a review on iTunes. You can really help us out. I would appreciate it. If you have feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, clambert at missionstoday.com. That's clambert at missionstoday.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.